Thank you, choir, for blessing us once again. The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms. This is Psalm 84. I invite you to follow along. I'll be reading from the Contemporary English Bible this morning. Hear these words. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of heavenly forces. My very being longs, even yearns for the Lord's courtyards. My heart and my body will rejoice out loud to the living God. Yes, the sparrow too has found a home there. The swallow has found herself a nest where she can lay her young beside your altars. Lord of heavenly forces, my king and my God. Those who live in your house are truly happy. They praise you constantly. Those who put their strength in you are truly happy. Pilgrimage is in their hearts. As they pass through the Baca Valley, they make it a spring of water. Yes, the early rain covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength until they see the supreme God in Zion. Lord of God of heavenly forces, hear my prayer. Listen closely, Jacob's God. Look at our shield, God. Pay close attention to the face of your anointed one. Better is a single day in your courtyards than a thousand days anywhere else. I would prefer to stand outside the entrance of my God's house than live comfortably in the tents of the wicked. The Lord is a sun and shield. God is a favor and a glory. The Lord gives, doesn't withhold, good things to those who walk with integrity. Lord of heavenly forces, those who trust in you are truly happy. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. I learned a new word this week. Tautology. Now, usually when I come across a word that I'm not sure about, not sure I've, I've seen before, I try to figure it out by the root or by the way it's used in a sentence. But... Tautology, T-A-U-T-O-L-O-G-Y. I was stumped. What I see when I look at the word is the word taut, you know, stretched, like the head of a bass drum or the sails on a boat. And then there's the second half, ology, which suggests to me the study of. So tautology, the study of things that are stretched, but that's not it at all. I was actually splitting the word in the wrong place. The roots are actually tato, which is Greek for same, and logos, which is Greek for word. Some of you should know that, yeah. (laughs) So it means same word. A tautology is when we use two words together that mean the same thing. Like when we say always and forever, or first and foremost, or in close proximity, or you've got to do what you've got to do. They're all tautologies. Now that I have your rapt attention, (laughs) that was also a tautology if you didn't. I know you're dying to know where I came across this word. 
It's because somebody influential in my life died a couple of Mondays ago. If you've ever heard me preach before, it's highly likely that you've heard me quote from Frederick Buechner. His writings have been influential in helping me understand and interpret faith in a way that makes sense to me. He writes in a way that is somehow both artistic and practical at the same time. And somehow, every time I read one of his sermons or something else he's written, I find my soul engaging with my brain. Or maybe it's the other way around. My head connects down to my soul. So the other day, as I was starting to work on this sermon, and I saw that Buechner had died at the age of 96, it occurred to me to look and see if he had said anything about worship, or specifically passionate worship. And here's what I found. Buechner says, phrases like worship service or service of worship are tautologies. To worship God means to serve God. Basically, there are two ways to do it. One way is to do things for God that God needs to have done. Run errands for God, carry messages for him, fight on his side, feed his lambs, and so on. The other is to do things for him that you need to do. Sing songs for him. Create beautiful things for him. Give things up for him. Tell him what's on your mind and in your heart. In general, rejoice in him and make a fool of yourself for him the way lovers have always made fools of themselves for the one they love. And then he goes on to say something that I found fascinating. Any worship experience unless there is an element of joy and foolishness in the proceedings, the time would have been better spent doing something useful. Worship and service are two sides of the same coin. Worship is a form of service. Service is a form of worship. But Buechner would have us believe that worship is only worth our time when there are elements of joy and foolishness. Otherwise, why bother? I have a question for you. Did you come to worship today expecting to leave somehow differently than you came? I don't mean literally as in out the other door or, <laughs> or home by another road. I mean, did you come to worship today expecting transformation? Or maybe deeper than that, did you come to worship today seeking to be transformed, hoping to be changed? Often I think we approach worship as if we're passengers in a car with someone else at the wheel, and we're just going along for the ride. But if that's the case, we need to rethink our model of worship. Let's each of us imagine ourselves this morning as drivers, fully engaged in this moment as if our lives depended on it, paying attention to the road ahead. Now sure, we're going down a road that someone else has already built for us, And we're following directions that someone spelled out for us in advance. But it's to get us to a destination we look forward to reaching. We are active participants enjoying the drive, not a passive audience staring out the window, wondering, when are we going to get there? Worship is service. Service is worship. Passion. Passionate. You've heard it a lot this morning, and it seems like a funny word to place in front of worship. When I think about someone being passionate, it's hard not to imagine a coach yelling at his players in the locker room at halftime, all red-faced with his veins bulging in on his forehead. 
or two Latin dancers doing the tango across a ballroom floor with dramatic flair. There are lots of ways we might define passion, but generally they all reduce down to this. Passion is a very powerful feeling for someone or something. I'm passionate about worship. In fact, I've devoted my life to the craft of planning worship and participation. But that doesn't mean that I've left impassioned from every worship experience that I've been a part of. But that might be saying more about me and less about the worship. Maybe I've wrongly been thinking that worship is about what I gain from it when it's really more about what I bring to it. Something else I'm passionate about is travel. I love to visit new places, eat interesting food, experience new cultures, but to me the joy of travel is not just being at a destination. It's also the process of getting there, the planes and trains and boats and automobiles that are needed to reach the place I'm trying to get to, plus everything that happens along the way. When I think about it, travel, when done well, is like worship and that it's less about what I get from it and more about what I put into it. I learned something else this week besides a new word. And how did I miss this? Psalm 84 combines my two passions. How did I not see until now that there's a psalm in the Bible about travel and worship together? The people in Psalm 84 are on a journey. They are pilgrims headed to Mount Zion, to the temple, to worship God. We know they're passionate about being in God's presence because they say, My very soul, my very being longs, even yearns, for the Lord's courtyards. My heart and body will rejoice out loud to the living God. Why? And the answer comes, Better is a single day in God's courtyards than a thousand days anywhere else. I would prefer to stand outside the entrance of my God's house than live, in, live comfortably in the tents of the wicked. Or said another way, I would rather stay in the smallest room of a five-star resort than in the nicest suite in a one-star motel. <laughs> Which is also one of my guiding travel principles. <laughs> Emmanuel, I feel like we've missed an opportunity to create a travel and worship interest group called Psalm 84. And we'd have the catchy slogan, partying with God is more fun than partying with the wicked. (laughs) And the psalmist even goes on to tell us these travelers, these worshipers, are also not just solely concerned with the destination. Psalm 84 provides us a glimpse of what happens along the way. God's pilgrims apparently are not those whose eyes are so fixed on the temple that they have no time for or interest in this life as though they are merely passing through. Pilgrimage is in their hearts. In other words, they love the journey too. It's important to note that this is not a singular or lonely journey. It speaks of pilgrims on a journey. The call is connected to community, confirming that we do not worship alone. Worship is rightly done in community, side by side with others. Could we say that worship is a form of group travel. There's a tour guide, but each of us has to do our part to make sure that we all get to the destination. 
The Colossians passage that Andy read lays out how we are to live as a transformed community in union with the spirit of the risen Christ. And our tour guide's name in this instance is Paul. And he tells us to be tolerant of each other, forgive each other, love each other. A good tour guide knows that it's hard to take a trip with someone you hold in contempt. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's not likely. You are more likely to just stay home than to force yourself to spend time taking a trip with someone you don't want to be around. And the same goes for worship. If we take the words of Colossians 3 seriously, then what is happening in worship is spiritual direction. It's the roadmap pointing us to the good news of Jesus Christ. Our hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs are functioning as the vehicles that are helping us to get where we want to be. The music we sing as, as we worship is like downloading Google Maps directly into our brains. Words that are sung are more likely to be remembered, more likely to be internalized, more likely to have an impact on ourselves and others, more likely to guide us when we aren't sitting here in worship. It's the reason that we in Emmanuel place such a high importance on our children and youth learning how to sing and experiencing singing on a regular basis. It's no different than making your teenager attend a driving course before they take their driver's test. It makes it easier for them to be successful on the road as worshipers as they navigate their faith journey. The best definition of passionate worship that I found described worship that had these qualities. The people believed that God was doing something significant in their midst. And thus there was an anticipation, a readiness to hear a word from the Lord, to be prepared for the Spirit to move in unexpected ways. And they sang hymns with joy, prayed earnestly, and then responded with genuine gratitude. Does that sound foolish? Beekner would say, I hope so. Passionate worship, just like travel, is also risky. It's costly. It has consequences because it changes us and it changes the way we experience our whole lives. But only when we see ourselves as more than passengers. How do you see yourself? How is worship shaping you? Maybe I should change the question to how are you allowing worship? To shape you. And if you're not being shaped in worship, then where are you being shaped? If you've come to worship this morning expecting nothing and offering nothing, then guess what? You will successfully leave unchanged, if that was your goal. But you also will end up in the same places you've always been. I've said it before, but Worship is not a place we go. It's a thing we do. Like going on a trip, worship is not a destination. It's a joy-filled journey that ever moves us toward God. Church, are you listening? Because this, right here, right now, is where we will be shaped and transformed into the kind of people that matter in this world. Passionate worship starts in God's house and moves out into God's kingdom. Worship is service.
say it back. Service is worship. They are one and the same. Amen.